I do realise that, you know, wealth is a two-edged sword and I don't believe that you need to be extremely wealthy to have a great lifestyle. And that's something I've really, in the last five years, that's really been brought out to me. This is Property Investory, where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Taran Sham and in this episode, we'll continue the conversation with James Dawson to learn about his commercial investing strategies, why trusting your instincts is important and why he believes wealth and happiness can be obtained easily without massive figures in the bank. Delving into the benefits of commercial investing, Dawson introduces us to the world of commercial property and how it works. Essentially, you know, commercial property is anything that you is obviously in the right zoning to be commercial property, but anything that a business, you know, can be operated in uh, could be anything from, you know, industrial shed, retail shops, offices, um, you know, perhaps uh, lifestyle style properties could be classed as commercial as well, like sort of hotels, motels. But primarily investors in commercial property are focused on retail, office and industrial. And it's one of the biggest benefits uh, about it compared to, say, residential is that there's basically no emotion involved when you're looking at purchasing a commercial property because it's all based on the numbers. So just like that first little property I bought, the value is pretty much based on the rental income. So if you can determine that a property has the correct rental income for what it is and the location, you can quite quickly, and this is without even looking at the property, determine the value of it or at least determine if the asking price is a reasonable one. And from that, you can also determine the cash flow that that may produce very, very quickly. He adds that the lack of emotional connection needed to buy these commercial properties is what makes it easy to get great returns on your investment. I think you know, it, it isn't rocket science. I mean, I'm chatting to uh, my brother just bought a property in Bathurst and look, he's got his loan at, from ING at 4.2%. The property is returning 8.5% net. So, of course, net means after outgoings. So after the rates and management and all that stuff is paid and all he has to pay is his mortgage out of that 8.5%. So that one deal he's done, I mean, it's $1.8 million property, but it's 70000 a year cash flow positive. And he's used, I mean, now that's based on 100% finance. So I always get a question when I mention that 100% finance, Tyrone. So I'll just qualify that. Um, that's using, you know, some, say, 30% uh, deposit from an equity loan on his home and the balance as an, from, say, a bank like ING on an uh, interest-only loan. So effectively 100% finance. It might be two slightly different interest rates, but very easy to work out your cash flow um, positive amount from, from just using those numbers. But what exactly is the difference between residential and commercial investments? I think uh, the prime difference is that the the commercial investment is driven by a lease. So you've got a, a number of factors that really um, tie uh, your investment to the lease. Now, one of the major ones is, and and let's say you've got, you're looking at a property that's got a hair salon in it, for example. Um, now, if that hair salon's been in that property for a while, 
they've built up a certain amount of goodwill by being in that location. They've probably spent quite a lot of money on a fit out in that property and they're making their livelihood from that property. So they want to have a long lease. So they want to sign a three or five or even a 10-year lease. Um, so that's a huge difference. You know, a, a five-year lease, for example, over, a, say, a six- or 12-month lease that you may have with a residential property, obviously a big um, difference. But not only that, the leases in commercial do favour the uh, landlord. They're almost as strong as a mortgage document, extremely powerful document. If something goes wrong, it's very easy to, you know, pull up a clause in the lease and work out, you know, how to resolve the issue. Um, also, they have generally um, a fixed, uh, either a fixed percentage increase per annum or something that runs with consumer price index. Uh, very clear um, layout of who pays for what. Quite often, the tenants uh, pay all the outgoings when they're presented with with the bills. Um, so you're getting the rent and then the outgoings paid by them. And also clear rules about you know the tenant perhaps having to repaint the property um, every four or five years, which is obviously enhancing the value of your property. Um, but one of the big differences I find is that a residential investor generally gets quite emotionally involved. You know, they'll they'll go and and I've been we're all guilty of this I've been guilty of it myself you know we go and look at a property and we think wow what an amazing kitchen or bathroom or wow I could live here in this apartment and and I often hear people say I had a friend who bought an apartment in Potts Point recently and he said oh you know I could I could live there and I said but are you ever going to you live in Byron Bay you know he goes no probably probably not um and you think well you know there it is he's just going to rent that out for years and um and if he did want to live in it he has to pay for it anyway that's... so <laughs> yeah, so wow. you know um so that's a big difference and i i find a lot of people have a lot of property that they think initially oh that'd be great i might live in that but they never ever live in it so it's just something that they've got to own and maintain for the life of the investment talking about the lack of commercial investors despite these many benefits Dawson explains what he thinks holds people back from investing into commercial spaces. One of them is that people think it's just too expensive to get into. That's one. Now, if anyone gets online after this interview, they'll see and you just go onto realcommercial.com.au, one of the major sites, for example, you'll see that you can buy an office in Melbourne for 150 grand. You could buy a storage shed for $40,000. You know, that's as that's a very, very low starting point. I challenge anyone to buy a residential property for that amount. Um, I actually saw a complete freestanding building in Tasmania the other day on a long lease um, with some land, $135,000. Um, could, you could build more on that property. So it can be a very um, low starting point, but people don't believe that. They think that you have to be a multimillionaire to get into commercial property. Um, one of the other big things is that people think that finance is very difficult and in actual fact, in the last 12 months, what we've noticed is that finance has become very much easier for commercial than residential because we don't have that APRA effect. Um, and if you talk to your broker or a good commercial broker, that is, or um, your bank manager, you'll find out quite quickly that commercial um, loans are uh, sort of unrestricted as compared to residential and the banks can do a lot more 
creative things with commercial loans than they can do with a normal residential investment loan. With property vacancy being another issue that holds investors back from buying commercial properties, Dawson explains that this issue is heavily dependent on where you buy. I think the third thing why people worry about commercial property is that someone's always told them a story about a property being vacant. And, you know, naturally, that could be an issue and and obviously is a fear. But, you know, what I say to people is, okay, you know, drive down to the normal shops that you go to and, you know, go to the the hairdresser, the cafe, uh, those sorts of things. And when you start opening your eyes to it, you'll see these busy little hubs that are always full. Or there might be one vacancy for, you know, a month or so, something like that while it's getting refitted, but they're always full. Other areas you may go to, you might see four or five vacant shops. Well, don't buy in those areas. It's very simple. You know, it's Mm. about... It's about focusing on the right areas to get to. Now, these can be strong regional areas or it could be inner city areas areas, or, or the city itself. He expands on this, comparing the likelihood of residential and commercial vacancy and why educating yourself greatly affects the end result of any investment. The other point about those vacancies is that I think a lot of residential investors sort of delude themselves a little bit because, you know, in a 12-month period, if they're lucky, you know, they might may have their house or apartment rented for 12 months. But quite often, um, a lot of residential investors I talk to say, well, look, my apartment's vacant at least once every year for probably four or five weeks. Um, so if you had a, a commercial property, uh, for example, and you came out of a, a, a tenancy period of, say, three years, and then you decided to paint it up and release it, and it was uh, vacant for a couple of months, well, that's two months out of three years. Um, and some of my tenants have been in properties for 22 years straight. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. it's, you know, the the difference is, you know, quite dramatic when you, when you add it up. But it, it really comes down to buying correctly in the first place. But I just think, and, and the other thing is that I, of course, think um, why people don't look at commercial is that it's we're bombarded with, you know, buy a house that's negatively geared. That's going to be the best thing for you. Buy this, buy that, or there's, there's spruikers that are actually selling, you know, house and land packages or apartments off the plan and all these things. We get absolutely bombarded. And let's face it, they do actually make it quite easy for people to buy. And I think people are sometimes a little bit lazy. They don't want to educate themselves about how to buy a property. So they just think, oh, look, I'll jump on a plane to Queensland and the guy's going to provide the valuation and everything and I'll buy the property. You know, and unfortunately, that can go terribly wrong, as we've all seen. Um, so, you know, I think anyone that wants to be an investor really needs to take control. I mean, it's their money. Um, and I know um, that. You know, I'm always very concerned when uh, educators are trying to sell property. That's one thing I will, I should have stated probably up front that, you know, in my education program, we never sell, offer any properties for sale. It's just not what we do. Um, and I know all the good educators in the property game in, in Australia are the same, but there's always some that have always got a great deal at the end of the day. Employing other investors to look into investing outside residential properties, Dawson raises an interesting point on capital growth. I didn't mention it before, but it's one of my favourite discussion points. Uh, You know, capital growth, it's so funny uh, really that, you know, 
this is always seems to be driven home with residential investors and people running around hot spotting and trying to find areas that are going up and, and all that. And, you know, it is a bit of a classic situation that I must admit over the last 40 years, this is probably the fourth time I've seen it where, you know, Sydney went up by 25%. Now, of course, everything's going down by 20% and, and you know, scaring the hell out of everyone. Um, so, you know, what happened to the capital growth there? You know, um, okay. So, but let me just compare a little deal. Let me let me just say touch on, um, you know, say comparing say a million dollar commercial property. Um, let's say that property you buy a property a million dollars and returning say eight and a half percent net. So net into your bank is say eighty five thousand dollars a year. Now, just compare it say with the same residential property. You might buy a luxury apartment in Sydney. Um, you're probably only going to net maybe you know forty thousand out of that property, something like that. Now, obviously, with that commercial property, you're potentially going to be let's say just pick a number. You're going to be thirty thousand year cash flow positive. So, and and some of them like my brother's deal are, are way more cash flow positive than that. Now, if you're putting that money into the bank each year. And just building up that thirty thousand dollars each year. Within five years, you've got one hundred and fifty thousand dollars cash sitting in the bank. Forgetting about any interest benefit you may get uh, by, you know, um, offsetting a loan and then, therefore compounding it. So, in in effect, you've made uh, a gain there of one hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollars, which is quite substantial over that period of time. Um, now, to me, that is the same as capital growth. I mean, okay. now, the, the other beauty of that is when you expand upon that point is that people say, oh, look, my house has gone up, you know, 20%. But to get that 20% out, what do they have to do? They have to sell it or refinance it. Now, when they refinance it, they're not going to get the full amount of the capital growth out. They're only going to potentially get maybe about 70% of that out if they're doing, say, 70% loan or perhaps 80% if they're doing an 80% loan. And they've got to go through the drama of getting that that money out by refinancing to use the equity. Whereas an equivalent commercial investor that's, say, been making thirty or 40000 positive cash flow a year from an investment, they, if they want to, they can have that money sitting in an account ready to go to do any number of things. They could be spending that money on their lifestyle. They could be paying down the loan of their property with that money, therefore getting the compounding effect, or they could just be putting that money in a bank account and then using that money at the end of three or five years to go and buy another property, and they don't have to refinance. Um, But even if they did refinance, they'd probably pull a bit more out of the property itself. So to my mind, cash positive cash flow, genuine positive cash flow is a is at least equivalent, but I think better than waiting for capital growth. Another point Dawson adds is that with commercial properties, it's easier to add manufactured growth to a commercial property than it is with residential property. One more very simple, important point is let's say you buy a property, a commercial property, like you you find a hair salon, for example, you know, in uh, in Bondi Road or something like that or even a regional centre and you buy that property and, and before you buy the property, you identify that you might be able to put a um, an ATM machine in the front window. So, you know, you negotiate with the bank and let's say you can get around $200 a week um, for that ATM machine. That's an instant increase of, say, $10,000 a year. So, if you capitalise that out at the, at the same return rate that that property is worth, you may find that that gives you, you know, 
150 or 200 thousand dollar increase in value straight away. Wow. So that's <laughs> that's manufactured growth. You've taken no risk on. Um, another fantastic example of that is buy a property uh, just like my brother's bought in Bathurst. It's on a road that probably I don't know maybe has five or ten thousand cars passing a day. Um, he can put a digital sign on that property. Um, there's plenty of companies that do that. You see these electronic digital signs everywhere. It's another of these eye-opening uh, things that you see. And he could potentially get twenty to $30,000 a year rent from that sign. So imagine increasing the rent of your residential property by $30,000 a year. How are you going to do that? You can't do that. No, it's not possible. You know? uh, the other fantastic thing, which I've done several times, I've just completed one in Bondi, with commercial property, there's a huge difference. The, the zoning generally allows much more on that property than you'll ever get on a residential property of a similar size. So my property in Bondi, for example, is a total size and the block of land of 240 square metres. 240 square metres. It's not even, not even as big as my lounge room almost. <laughs> no, not quite that big. But on that property, because of the zoning, uh, I had initially just a shop underneath and an apartment above, classic, you know, terrace house style, shop underneath, apartment above. Zoning changes, they allowed me to build three more apartments on the back above the car park at the back. So now on 240 square metres, I have four apartments and a shop. Um, and you can imagine what a, a block of land in Bondi is worth that you could build three apartments on. So that's what I've unlocked in that property. In fact, my evaluation uh, when that was completed just a month or so ago um, went from $4 million to $6.3 million <laughs> straight away. So, you know, there's these huge, man, you know, opportunities for manufactured uh, growth yep. wow. um, in commercial that, I mean, it's, it's similar to the idea if you, someone's putting a granny flat or something on the back of a residential property. It's, it's that on steroids. Coming up after the break, we'll learn more about James Dawson's commercial investing strategy. You go into these deals with ice water in your veins and, you know, my strategy has been, you know, just to wait uh, and just follow the mantra. The interesting tips he's learnt along the way. One of the things I wanted to talk about is uh, the tremendous exit strategies that you can develop into these properties and it's and, and it's a product of the zoning and the style of properties. All that and much more coming up next. I'm Tyron Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Moving on from the mindset investors should have when it comes to commercial investing, Dawson talks about his portfolio building and the strategy behind his success. Well, essentially, um, you know, not rushing. Um, there's always a deal out there and I say this to people, you know, sometimes with the residential market, the people, it, it sort of goes two ways. People think, oh, it's all going up. I better buy a property. So, suddenly everyone's at the auction. You know, we saw this in the last couple of years where, you know, the auctions were going crazy Everyone's in a mad panic to buy, whereas all all us commercial investors, we're just in the background. We're only ninety percent of the population's running around to buy residential. Ten percent of us are quietly moving around the background buying commercial, 
And <clears throat> so we're not in that mad panic. Uh, we're just looking at the numbers, um, you know, looking at the deals as they're presented to us. And, and then if the deal is right, um, the other fantastic advantage of commercial is that you can buy a, a property and take it off the market and have a 30-day at least due, due diligence period where you can actually make up your mind on the property. And even during that period, even though you've gone to contract at a price, you can have the uh, ability to renegotiate the price. And I've done that successfully many times where something's come up and I thought, no, I need to renegotiate the price, otherwise I'm going to pull out of that deal. Um, so you go into these deals with ice water in your veins and, you know, my strategy has been, you know, just to wait uh, and just follow the mantra of my old boss, you know, 30-odd years ago of just not buying anything unless it was the right deal. Um and cash flow positive. He shares an example of a time this strategy has worked for him. Recently, I bought a 14 shop shopping centre that was built in 2013 up north of Brisbane. Um, when I looked at the, it cost the guy I think at least five million dollars to build. It's on six six thousand square metres of land. Um, I was watching the deal for a while. You know, he had it on. Um, they they were in desperate trouble. They only had three tenants out of 14. So. Most people probably listening to this would think I would have run a mile, right? <laughs> uh, but it had a, a separate separate childcare um, building, all state-of-the-art, um, leased to 2040 long lease, and it had a couple of tenants in their shopping centre. So I was coming back from a surf trip from Noosa, and I, I called in to look at this property, and uh, my uh, Swedish mate that I had in the car with me on the surf trip said, have you got rocks in your head, James? Why would you buy this? It's empty. <laughs> and uh, and I said, yes, but it's in the middle of this master plan community. I don't know what the guy's done, done wrong, but I'm going to investigate it because he's done something wrong here. Um, so I decided in a nutshell, I thought, I'll buy this property, but I'll only buy it based on the existing rents from those three tenants. So effectively, if I got the deal at the price that I was offering that I would have basically um, half the shopping centre or three quarters of the shopping centre for free and that's exactly what I did. Wow. I bought the whole lot the whole lot for 2.3 million. Um, uh, it was cash flow positive on just on the three rents and then straight away uh, I rebranded it. I um, chopped the rents by almost a third from the asking rents. I rebranded the property, renamed it, um, got the signage right, and straight away I leased five shops to Plus Fitness at $100,000 a year. So that increased the value probably up from 2.3 to 4 million or something straight away in six months. And uh, then I've got a couple more tenants. I've only I've got three or four shops left, depending on how a negotiation goes the next couple of days. Um, but you know, massively cost cash flow positive now. Um, and I think when it's fully leased, my value, I reckon, will be worth $5.3 million. So not a bad increase, but I have spent money, you know. Let's, you know, you've got to be prepared to spend money, and I have spent money. I've probably spent, you know, $250,000 in, you know, refurb, rebranding, tenants' incentive, you know, putting solar panels on the roof, you know, offering them free air conditioning, that type of stuff. That's what you have to do. And, you know, you work a win-win situation for your tenant out uh, and, you know, it can absolutely help 
you and that that gymnasium they they had to have 300 members to open and and they rang me the other day and they said they've surpassed 500 and it's their their best operating gym and they were so happy with me they could have kissed me he said he also tells us about the figures and returns this property is yielding this one now i haven't got my figures right in front of me but at the moment i i think with the current tenants uh, i'm getting in at least net income after outgoings of around 256000 I think when it's fully leased, my net income will be pushing over, um, it'll be about 330000 net uh, on an investment, say, of a total, in, yeah, total investment, including, say, the stamp duty was, say, 100000 I think, um, but including stamp duty and the money spent, let's say, I don't know, 2627 something like that. Yeah. So, so easily um, you can say it's on, it's a little bit over ten percent or more than that actually probably. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So therefore, and it's another important point here that um, anyone listening might like to hear, Tyrone, is that then it's actually quite easy for me to work out the value of the property because basically all I do is I, I would find out from a value at the time when I want to work out what it's worth. I'd say what is the expected yield that someone would want to get on a shopping centre like this when it's fully leased? They might tell me it's 7%, for example, or 7.5%. So all you need to do is divide your net rent by that that metric. So if it's 7%, for example, you divide 330,000 by 0.07, and that'll give you a number that may be what the value of that property is. While this all seems rather positive from the get-go, Dawson warns that there is extra strategies potential investors need to have in place before buying. One of the things I wanted to talk about is uh, the tremendous exit strategies that you can develop into these properties and it's and, and it's a product of the zoning and the style of property. So you can imagine with a 14-tenant um, property that I've actually got two buildings there. So one building's got the childcare in there. Now, I could easily sell that childcare off separately, and I've actually got approval for a subdivision to do that. But then if I wanted to, you know, now I'm 61, so, okay, let's say when I hit 70 years old, I might say, okay, I want to start selling some bits off for whatever reason, um, you know, to give some money to someone, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, so it, it very, very easy to strata title those those properties off and um, it's very very easy to work out the rent of those strata title properties uh, sorry the value of those strata title properties by doing that same calculation just using the net rent from the property and and dividing by the uh, yield or cap rate at the time that people would expect to buy it Um, so it gives you tremendous safety and, and you can even do this say with a two or three tenant smaller property um, that someone buys for under half a million, you know, uh, which is, you know, you try to, if you compare that to, say, a residential strategy where you bought a $500,000 house compared to, say, two or three shops for 500000 it just doesn't compare because you could strata those shops up and you could say, okay, look, I'm a little bit worried about my debt level or, you know, I, I another great thing is you might have two business partners and you, and you all agree to take one shop each. Perfect, um, perfect scenario. So, so there's that um, fantastic ability of exit strategies there. But I've recently found out on that shopping centre I can put another story on the top. Um, 
So I can I can potentially um, put some offices, uh, you know, something like that on top. If the, if the demand and sometimes when you buy these properties, you know, the demand's not there when you buy the properties for extending them. But I also say to people, review your properties every year. You know, even if they're residential. Get someone a private town planner to have a look at the zoning. You know, you might be able to put a granny flat in the backyard, or you might be able to put villas on that property now. And so many people sell their properties and only drive past two years later and find someone to put units on there. It's uh, <laughs> dev- devastating. <laughs> Delving into the mindset side of things, Dawson talks about his personal outlook when it comes to property. My personal thing was look, I wasn't the brightest. Um, kid at school. Um, I didn't actually even uh, get my high school certificate, even though I went to a private school. So, you know, I really uh, just wanted to make my own way. And very early on, like probably like, you know, most people that are in business for themselves or in any entrepreneurial thing, I just felt that I didn't want a normal job. I felt my time, you know, I've always had this thing that time is extremely valuable. And, and the only thing stopping you, you know, controlling your time really is your income. So it's this whole thing of leverage. So, you know, rent to me uh, is a fantastic way to leverage your time. You know, you, you, it's the same as, you know, in, in a residential investment. You buy the property, you get it tidied up and you collect the rent. Well, it's all money that you're not earning yourself. You know, they're paying you and you, you, you're taking that difference between the payments and the, and the income. So, that was my mindset that I just really didn't want to work for a boss and um, I've always been a little bit of a dreamer so I've always got projects in mind and, you know, I, I travel a lot. Every year we were in Europe three months of the year so, um, you know, um, go boating and stuff in Europe every year so we, we're over there a lot and I still run my business. Anything I'm doing, I just run from there which is great. Um, so, yeah, my mindset really has been about uh, balance, trying to achieve a balance, which is not always possible. I'm never going to – no one should ever say that their life is completely imbalanced. But, you know, sometimes I do get very busy with things. But um, mostly uh, I'm running my own show and controlling exactly what I do with my time, which is something that I'm, I'm very passionate about. And why he's learned that the amount of money you have isn't always reflective of your success or happiness. I'm in a lucky position here to be surrounded, I guess, by some of the world's wealthiest people, you know, Australia's wealthiest people here, you know, just next door. And um, uh, and in Byron in general, I found, um, you know, Byron's an interesting place because there's a lot of barefoot millionaires and billionaires. And just with, um, I guess, the level of property that I've been doing, um, you know, some of the properties I've sold, uh, one to a billionaire and, and you know, it's just interesting what those guys say, you know, because their money needs have effectively disappeared uh, in that, you know, they don't need to focus on earning money. But, uh, you know, they have a different problem is that, you know, they're needing to uh, run their investments and, and all that. So that's, um, that's, I mean, they say to me, you've got a better life than I have, James, you know, <laughs> even though they've got, <laughs> even though they've got their own jet. <laughs> but, uh you know, but, um, you know, so that's been very interesting. And so I've, you know, I guess I'm in my later stages of my life, but, uh, you know, I, I I do realize that, you know, wealth is a two-edged sword and I, I, I don't believe that you need to be extremely wealthy to have a great lifestyle. And that's something I've really, in the last five years, that's really been brought out to me, uh, you know, someone worth um, $5 million 
net worth could be having a better lifestyle than someone worth a billion. And I've absolutely seen that um, and, you know, experienced um, some of just the issues that some people I know have had just in, in management of stuff and, you know, international properties and businesses and things like that. So, you know, to me, it's um, this uh, thing of keeping it simple and keeping it in balance is uh, not the easiest thing in the world to to get. And uh, I think um, I've probably helped some of those guys in a way saying, hey, well, you know, maybe you should pull back from what you're doing, you know, because some of them are actually younger than me. But, um, you know, obviously I'm not, I'm not at that level of wealth and don't aspire to be at that level of wealth. Uh, and I, I, I would say that to anyone listening, that, you know, you, you know, you set a goal and your goal might be that, you know, you want to earn 200000 a year passive income, you know, after tax. So, okay, all positive cash flow, you're going to pay tax. So, you might have to earn 300000 passive income, you know, from property to end up with two hundred, something like that. But, you know, it, it's if you can't live on $200,000 a year, there's perhaps something wrong with what you're doing yeah. and, you know, <laughs> and your lifestyle. So, uh, I mean, of course, everyone. I've got nice cars and things. I mean, you know, we can all do that. But you know, if you if you're doing that at the wrong time in your life or when you shouldn't be, um, you know, these things are the things that can hold you back. So it's very important to, I guess, probably be inconspicuously wealthy rather than conspicuously poor. <laughs> you know? Having mentioned a few mentors already, Dawson talks about whether or not he sought out help from any particular resources. One of the, the earliest books that I read was Thinking Grow Rich. Um, you know, that that has and, – and look, I've probably read that book only probably three times in the last, you know, 30 years and I think I got it on a Kindle book recently but um, that's a great mindset book and I think, you know, even though it was written a long, long time ago, um, that's, that's certainly, a, you know, a good book for mindset and – with regard to property investment books, I've I've really enjoyed uh, Michael Yardley's books. Um, you know, I don't you probably even had him on talking, but um, you know, he's had some great uh, practical input that I know people have um, enjoyed. Um, commercial property books. I've actually written a, a commercial property book myself, um, so that's that's available on on Amazon and on Kindle. That's called the Seven Day Weekend. Awesome. Um, which um, I know sounds a bit of a, a tricky name. <laughs> I copped a bit of flack over that name, but but essentially my I mean, if you ask me some days, I think I'm not sure whether it's Saturday or Thursday. You know, <laughs> but it's that, that idea of running your life a little bit like a weekend, where some of us, you know, might go for a surf on the weekend, might do a bit of office work, or might do a bit of gardening. You know, that sort of thing. You know, but um, that book that I've written is uh, it uh, people do like the book and it, it does set out um, basically my strategy um, for for investing um, in commercial thinking about the tips he's been given outside books Dawson shares why he believes seeking out help and keeping things simple and unemotional is the best advice he's ever received it really is about taking the emotion out and when you're in pro, you know, having sort of say a, a, a problem with a deal, or you know, it's just to probably step back a bit and really try and seek out um, the knowledge, you know. So, I, I do have a couple of, you know, as I mentioned here, uh, people that I, you know, talk to all the time here that are very successful business people, and and you know, it it shouldn't be a problem for you to pick up the phone and just ask someone what they think. And I think 
<clears throat> you know, I think often too that people ignoring their gut feeling, I know it's a probably a slightly airy-fairy thing, but I've certainly learned over the years that sometimes I've done something where I've gone against what my gut feeling is. It may be putting a, tenant, a particular tenant into a property thinking, mm, boy, they're going to be the right people. And, uh, you know, perhaps going against my gut feeling and it has been the wrong thing. So I do listen to my sort of inner thoughts about things um, without going crazy, of course. But, um, you know, it might sometimes just cause me to, I know I drive my partner mad sometimes because I think, I think sometimes hmm, I'm just going to check on that detail with the bank again, or I'm just going to check on that detail on the lease. And I, you know, um, so sometimes it's one of those things where, you know, you think something pops into your head and you think, hmm, I just need to recheck that. And quite often that's been a, a very telling thing where I've, I've picked up something that's been, you know, could have been, you know, a much bigger problem in the future because if I hadn't picked it up. So um, I think, you know, ask people, uh, you know, around uh, sometimes. You've got to ask the right people, though, you know, so don't ask people that have no idea about the subject, you know, um, you know, the classic barbecue talk. Um, and I learned that very early on, asking people about property that people had no property. I mean, what's the point of doing that? So, you know, seek seek out someone that's been successful. Uh, one thing I found with commercial property investors though, that a lot of them are very quiet because nothing much is going on. You know, they're just collecting rents and, you know, they're not, at barbecues rattling on about tenant dramas, <laughs> you know. Um, so, you know, you've got to seek out the right people. So there's plenty of, I mean, of course, my own website and blogs and all that, but there's other ones available as well. But I think, you know, someone that's been in the game for a long time, I'm not, I, I, I'm not trying to blow my own trumpet, but, you know, I do over the years have seen many complex ways of investing and, when I, and, and also people picking up the gauntlet and, you know, saying they are an expert at a particular thing. And then I think, well, you've only been in the business five years during a full boom time. Um, so, you know, that's and, – and not saying that people can't be successful in that period of time, but, you know, I think it's like asking a mechanic on your car that's, you know, perhaps been a mechanic for six months or someone that's been a mechanic for 40 years looking after luxury cars, for example. I mean, obviously – the guy who's had the 40 years has probably seen every little problem that's ever going to exist. Yeah, so in the same way, you should also offer advice and use your experience to help other investors as well. I've seen it all, I guess, but yeah, but that just comes from experience and some of the things weren't the most pleasant things that happened over the years, but at least if you're able to say to someone, uh, I mean, I said to someone the other day about uh, he was doing a vendor finance deal and he, he was going to do it on a handshake and I said, hey, woo, <laughs> woo up. You know, stop right there. <laughs> wow. That, <laughs> it's know. good to have you there, you know, just to make sure that they don't make the wrong mistake. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, it's just, I mean, some things are common sense, but, you know, I guess in the in the rush to do a deal, um, you know, there's a tendency for particularly um, people that are new into the game that, you know, they perhaps might gloss over things that could potentially cause them a lot of grief and, and you know, set them back a little bit when really you just want to be focused on moving forward. Following this self-reflective process, Dawson tells us what he would have told himself 10 years ago. I probably would have said buy, uh, buy a larger shopping centre or I was probably in a, a, a relaxed mode then. Um, you know, so I was sailing along quite nicely and, and doing what I was doing. But um, I think there was some deals around then that I really would have liked to have got, but I was perhaps a little bit lazy, Tyrone. <laughs> so... Uh, 
and uh, and I actually had some properties that I probably should have got out of to move the equity into um, into a better situation by way of using the equity better. And there's, and there's nothing wrong with selling a property to do that, I don't believe. But um, so I was in a situation where I had the properties that I had and some of them were a little bit more intensively uh, managed. I had some back, uh, backpackers, for example, in Byron and I had managers in, of course, but it was something that was interesting, but it probably wasn't for me. I probably should have jumped out of that a little bit earlier than I did. So, yeah, I think uh, it was just that, that uh, thing that you really need to review what you're doing and, and sometimes you need to say, okay, I need to be moving on from that because that's taking too much time. And conversely, what he's most excited for in the next five years of his journey? Oh, I've got um, lots of little projects on. I'm, I'm just about to build a... Uh, another house on my um, acreage just here, just at the back of Byron. Uh, I've just recently put uh, a beautiful old uh, boat, river boat, on one of my ponds in the on the property. So I'm going <laughs> to going to restore that, and I'm quite interested in the towny tiny house movement, believe it or not. So I'm going to be building a couple of those um, just in the next 12 months or so, but. Um, you know, quite passionate about my my education program as well. That's been a, a, a really great thing for me because it's re-engaged me with sort of the grassroots level of investing. So uh, I put a little bit of time into that um, as well. And that's been really great, you know, because it's uh, got me talking to, you know, young investors and things, which is really good. So, um, yeah, so I've got lots of little projects. I'm an avid vegetable gardener as well. And, um I love surfing and traveling, so just continue with more of the same. With so much experience and knowledge to offer about the world of commercial investing, Dawson puts his take on whether he believes his success is due to luck or skill. I honestly believe you make your own luck. Uh, I think the uh, ability, and I think probably many people that I guess are successful will say this that. Um, you know, it's a great ability to be able to get on with people. Um, and uh, I've certainly seen that uh, with people who sometimes should be really successful, but they just don't have that ability or haven't tried or are unable to get on with people in a general sense. I think that's a very big thing. Um, That probably goes back to that book, Think and Grow Rich, where, uh, you know, just the ability to listen to people and talk to people is a big thing from all types of walks of life, and so um, my, my view is that, you know, it's not due to luck. I'm certainly probably not the most intelligent person in the world, um, and I think sometimes that uh, probably overanalyzing things can actually hold people back. So, you know, I, I'm you know a fairly simple sort of guy, so I try to keep things simple. And um, with commercial, particularly and and residential to an extent, you know, it's pretty simple. You just need to know the basics, and you need to follow those, and and not. Uh, not be overly, overly emotional about it. Thank you to James Dawson, our amazing guest on this episode of Property Investory. If you want to hear more about his journey, then visit our website at propertyinvestory.com.